scripture reading for this morning you can find in 1 Peter. 1 Peter, continuing our study, and we'll read from the verse 8 of chapter 3 and into chapter 4, verse 6. And our text will be verses 18, 19, and 20 from chapter 3. Hear now the word of the Lord. And finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel is preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. This far, the reading of God's holy word. Dear congregation, 
It's in this time of year that we also remembered the Reformation that happened in the early 1500s. And in 1561, a man by Guido de Bray, he, he wrote the Belgic Confession of Faith. And with that, he wanted to show what the Christians truly believed. He wanted to demonstrate to King Philip II of Spain that, that Christians were not rebels, but in fact law-abiding citizens. And he wrote this letter stating that they would willingly submit to the government and all things lawful. He was really practicing what we had looked at earlier in, in, in Peter in chapter 2 of how we are called to show submission to those who God has set an authority over us. And so on the one hand, he said that we will submit to all things lawful. On the other hand, he said that they will rather deny themselves. Or they would rather suffer the consequences rather than deny any of the biblical truth that he had communicated in that Belgian Confession of Faith, anything that was in Scripture. And he, he writes this, he said, they would rather offer their backs to stripes, their tongues to knives, their mouths to gags, and their whole bodies to the fire, well knowing that those who follow Christ must take his cross and deny themselves. And that's something that Guido de Bray would do five years later, after fleeing from his persecutors, he'd eventually be captured and he would die as a martyr. He would die for this very faith. And now, young people maybe especially, but all of us, what will we face for the name of Christ in the coming years? What is it that you and I will need to face in defense of the Word of God? It's already very difficult, and some of you would know it better than I, in colleges and universities today. It's difficult to say anything. We're called to be tolerant and acceptable of everything. We're called to be silent of Christ and not to stand up against Him, against any of these views. And so how will we endure? How will we persevere in the faith in a country that seems intent on trying to go against Christianity? But here in this chapter, Peter also encourages us he gives us an encouragement to sustain us through this suffering. Because in a way, all Christians will have to go through some form of suffering. And he was speaking to the persecuted believers here that were scattered all through Asia for that very reason. And he said in verse 17, For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And so last time we had... Pre we had talked about preparing for suffering, preparing for suffering by remembering who God is, keeping that sanctified view of God, that He is God Almighty in control of everything, even what happens in your life. And now He encourages us further by reminding us of why Christ Himself suffered, directing us and pointing us to the suffering of Christ. And so our theme for this morning is an encouragement through suffering. We'll have two thoughts. And the first is we see the encouragement is the victory that we see accomplished by Christ's suffering. The victory accomplished by Christ's suffering. Because the first encouragement is seeing the victory that Christ secured for his people through his own suffering. 
And with that, we know that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And with that, we know that even our suffering is what conforms us to Christ. He is the one who secured your salvation through his very suffering. And so it says in verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. And we can be encouraged by remembering why Christ suffered why Christ suffered. And Peter says, for, or I mean, because. If you look back, you think of Guido de Bray or some of the other martyrs that have gone before, you can see great examples of Christians. Peter here is writing to the persecuted Christians in his day. We can see them as an example. And yet, Christ is more than an example. Christ's suffering was truly unique. And the reason he, he suffered was to obtain this victory of which we can now read and what we have sung, sung of a few times this morning already. In his suffering, the suffering of Christ put an end to suffering. And that's why the men in Hebrews 11 chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Because they can see the end. The end is in sight. They all looked for, for another city whose builder and maker is God, where the glory is, is, exists. Where Revelation 21 says, where there'll be no more pain and no more sorrow and no more death. And so Peter says, it's better now to suffer if that is God's will, seeing what lies ahead. And so, how is Christ's suffering unique? Well, first of all, he did it willingly. I was speaking to someone recently, he said, yes, we submit to God's will, but we don't really want it. We don't so willingly submit ourselves to the suffering that is brought into our lives. And all the suffering that Christ had from when he was born to when he, was, when he died was all without a cause. He was without sin. He didn't he didn't bring it on himself because of what he had done wrong, but he willingly came from heaven, from the glories above, to suffer so that he could deliver his people from their suffering. And so the reason that Christ suffered, it says, was for sin and not his own. He not only suffered because of unjust men doing evil to him, Sometimes you can suffer by unjust or evil men doing something to you and you don't really deserve it. But Christ, he not only suffered in that way, but he mainly suffered because of the sin of mankind that was put upon him. He took that punishment for sin. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. So Christ suffered for sin, not just by the hands of men, but under the justice of Almighty God. The punishment that we deserve for our sin was laid upon the Lord Jesus Christ, the mediator of the new covenant. And he willingly suffered, taking that punishment for sin. And then we see it was unique because Christ suffered as a substitute. The substitute for sinners. Peter says here, the just for the unjust. Christ suffered as the innocent one, the just one, 
instead of unjust sinners. He took their place. He took our place under the punishment of God for sin. When we suffer, we might suffer because someone accuses us or slanders us when we actually never did anything. And yet we never actually suffer under the justice of God. Suffering in this world is a consequence of sin that, that causes this world to groan. And we are never completely free, free of sin, but Christ here, He came innocent, free of sin. And because Christ suffered in the place of His people as our substitute, we see that His suffering then also was sufficient. It was unique because it was sufficient. Peter says Christ also suffered once. Hebrews 9.28, Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. That doesn't mean he only suffered at one point in his life, but the suffering of his whole life from birth to death was one sacrifice of suffering that climaxed on the cross. Verse 18 says, being put to death in the flesh. He suffered and he died in his human nature. And this is why Jesus must also be fully God and fully man in the one person of Jesus Christ. And he died there on the cross bearing the punishment of sin under the wrath of God in the place of human beings. And that one sacrifice of Christ is sufficient to atone for all the sins of all his people throughout all ages and to purge them all away forever. Sufficient to satisfy that perfect justice of a holy God and perfect to turn away the wrath of God forever from his people. And when Christ was finished there on the cross, that suffering was removed. Christ went through that suffering and he came out on the other side victorious. Verse 18 says, made alive by the Spirit, he rose from the dead. The victory is accomplished through Christ's suffering. And it's sufficient to satisfy God on your behalf. And so the suffering that you experience now is not to pay for your sins under the justice of God. But even though you suffer now, you can have peace with God. And that's because Peter shows us here the purpose of Christ's suffering. He says so that he might bring us to God. So he might bring us to God. Christ willingly suffered as the substitute of sinners so that he might bring us to God. When Christ finished his suffering on the cross, he said, it is finished. It is finished. That means Christ reconciled the world to God. 2 Corinthians 5 says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. That means not reckoning, not, not accounting their sins to them anymore because they had, Christ had atoned for them. And so to bring us to God now means that there is access through Jesus Christ to God the Father. There we can be assured that we can be received of God, that God is favorable towards you who come through Jesus Christ because there that sin has been removed, there that sacrifice is sufficient to atone for all your sins. There that wrath has been taken away. And even if you suffer now, 
Even though you might be in darkness or, or deepness through, through the suffering, you can know that it is not under the hand of God's just wrath against your sin because Christ endured that in your place. And now you can see Him as a heavenly Father even in the midst of that darkness. And so that means now that when you suffer, even without a cause in this world, when you have not done nothing to aggravate your neighbors, our suffering makes us conformable to the Lord Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians 4 says, We bear in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ, and His life is also made manifest in us. It means that if it is the will of God that we suffer now, even for doing good, we can submit. We can have that willing spirit by the grace and the strength of His Holy Spirit because we know that we do not suffer as a punishment for our sin. Our suffering does not need to pay for these sins. Yes, God may use suffering to correct us, to correct His children, to discipline His children. He may use it to test our faith, to see what there really is. Is it is it fixed in Christ? Will it stand firm through these trials? It may be used to grow the fruits of the Spirit in our hearts, and to grow that fruit of love, that blessing those who persecute us. But we know that as Paul says, our sufferings are only a light affliction which lasts a moment. You remember those days when you were young and you would go running through those blackberry bushes, that trail, and even though you got scratches along the way or you tripped along the way, you kept going. You know there's an end. You know there's an opening, an end of the trail. And so it is that seeing the suffering of Christ even brings a sweetness to our suffering because despite our weakness, despite our shortcomings, despite what we faith, faith we belong to God and there's a, there's a way through, there, there's hope, there's life at the end. And so even in our suffering, we can thank God for His grace and His mercy in Jesus Christ. And we see that there's an end to our suffering. It's only temporary. It's only inflicted by sinful people and yet, and unjust people, and yet under the control of our Father who allows nothing to happen outside of His will. Even the saints in Hebrews 11 showed how they willingly suffered rather than losing God in this life. God meant, means everything. And so Christ suffered, and then He entered glory. And we must suffer and go through suffering, but the end is eternal glory that Christ has secured for us. Shall we then not willingly follow our Master? Shall we not continue on then one day to see Him face to face? He reminds us in John 15 that the disciple is not greater than his Master. If he was persecuted, so will we. He suffered to bring us to God. And if this is the path He calls us to walk, to come to Him, we should not be afraid even if the lions are roaring at our heels, even if the evil one fights us along the way, or the temptations allure us to go off the path to find an easier way, or though the weariness of our heart and body want us to quit, take courage through 
your suffering. Because Christ's suffering has accomplished this victory for you. And you will come through. So press on to Emmanuel's land. And even to Emmanuel himself. But then secondly we see the second encouragement is the victory that is proclaimed by Christ's suffering. The the victory that is proclaimed, the second encouragement is Christ's preaching. The proclamation of Christ's victory over death and over hell and over sin and over Satan. And Christ, by his word, he encourages you, he calls you, and he warns you to continue regardless of what you might face in this world. And he proclaims that in Christ there is a full deliverance. The deliverance is certain, even if the whole world would oppose you and come against you. And in the same word, Christ warns us that outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no deliverance at all. He says in verse 19, by whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. He says, by whom he also went and preached. This refers to the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit in the previous sentence that raised Christ from the dead after his suffering. The message of Christ's victory over everything that opposed him is proclaimed by the power of the Holy Spirit that raised him from the dead, declaring that he is the Lord and the Christ, the victor. Christ arose victorious. Now this verse does not mean uh, that Christ went around himself preaching. There's many different interpretations that come out of this passage, but Christ himself is not the one who went around preaching in this sense. He did not descend into hell to preach, as some interpret, because there is no hope of salvation to those who are in the depths of hell now who have perished without hope. But then who... Uh, when and to who did Christ, or is this, does the preaching refer? Well, it says, By the same Holy Spirit, Christ preached to the spirits in prison who were formerly disobedient. And so it's best to understand this, that Peter is referring uh, as well to the time of Noah's preaching. When Noah preached by the Holy Spirit, that same Spirit that raised Christ, is the one who brought the word through all of history to the disobedient people who were there before the flood, who are now dead, who are now in the prison of hell. And here, Peter, he's addressing, he's writing this to the Christians in the New Testament time, the persecuted Christians who who faced the opposition of the unbelieving world, just like Noah in his day faced the opposition of the unbelieving world while he was building the ark. And so this message of Christ, we can see has been proclaimed by the Holy Spirit ever since the fall in paradise. From Genesis 3.15, where it said that Christ would come to conquer the seed of the serpent. He preached through Cain and Abel, through the sacrifice that Abel offered there, that blood of the Lamb. He preached to the world through Enoch. Enoch, who lived 365 years, how many years he preached, we don't know. He preached through Noah. 
2 Peter 2.5 calls him the preacher of righteousness. Noah lived for 950 years, and for 120 of those, he's building the ark, and he was preaching. We don't know how many years, but the Holy Spirit was proclaiming the coming of the judgment, but also the coming of the Messiah. And so the message comes to every person who hears the proclamation of his word. We can also understand these words in the sense that every unbeliever can be said to be in prison. Ephesians 2 calls them dead in sins and trespasses, the sons of disobedience. Romans 8 calls them carnally minded, for to be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. Formerly disobedient. When there's enmity with God, when they're unable and unwilling to believe the preaching. They're like souls in prison. 2 Timothy 2 says they're taken captive by the prince of darkness. And these disobedient people did not believe Noah's message that the flood would come, that the judgment of God would come upon them. But all along it says God was long-suffering and patient, waiting for the people to repent for 120 years while the ark is being prepared, uh, Peter writes. And yet Noah believed. Hebrews 11 verse 7 says, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with a godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, which he condemned, by which he condemned the world, and became the heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. The preaching and the testimony of the ark warned the people that God was coming with his judgments upon the earth. But 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says, God is long-suffering towards us not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This proclamation of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he has been, that he has risen victorious, should encourage you all to come to God through him, because there is deliverance from this incoming wrath. And the same proclamation should warn you that in the day of God, that the day of God's wrath is coming like a flood, like it did in the days of Noah. And now the more that we hear of Christ's salvation, the more that we hear of God's love towards sinners in Christ, the more that we hear that we must come for salvation, that we can come, that there is a deliverance. And the more we turn that away from that, the more we reject that, the greater our punishment will be when the floods of God's wrath come if we don't repent and believe. Because Luke 12 says that those who knew God's will but did not prepare themselves will be beaten with many stripes. That means the punishment will be worse than someone who never heard the gospel. And so he says here, he, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This is the purpose of the preaching. This is the, the purpose of proclaiming Christ's victory over death. We can say he preached by water as well. Eight souls were saved by water. Through the suffering of the flood waters, eight souls were saved. 
They were saved by faith. They believed that message. They prepared themselves. But the rest of the world perished. And all those who did not know God entered that eternal prison of hell. And Christ preaches by that message of the eternal prison. Where 2 Peter 2 verse 4 says that the fallen angels were cast down to hell and delivered into the chains of darkness. That eternal prison of hell. The ancient world of Noah's day was not spared. Sodom and Gomorrah were not spared. And these are all given as examples of what will happen if we do not turn to God now through Jesus Christ. If we do not believe the preaching of his victory over our sin and over death. And that is a place where all unbelievers will go forever, forever bound in eternal darkness and in the prison of chains and darkness if you're not delivered by Christ. And that same message is proclaimed to us today, even in a fuller sense than they had in the days of Noah. Noah believed and was spared. He entered that ark. He was carried above the floodwaters of judgment. And now Christ clearly declares why he came and why he suffered. Because he took the place of sinners under that wrath of God. You could say under that flood. He came and he defeated Satan. He defeated death and hell. So that he can rescue and deliver prisoners and set them free to eternal glory. To bring us to God. And so he encourages you with this message now. And he says that now if you enter the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. You will be carried above those flood waters of God's judgment. When he comes. That now in Christ you can be reconciled to the holy God. You can be brought to him in truth. And so he's saying you must come to the Lord Jesus Christ today if you have not already. Do not ignore this preaching of Christ. Because what happened to those people in Noah's days will happen to everyone who rejects the Lord Jesus Christ now. But dear believers, those who of you like Noah believed and moved with a godly fear have turned to Christ by faith. You are carried above that flood. And the punishment that will come upon all the wicked in this world is the very means by which you will be delivered from all your suffering once and for all. The same waters that killed the unbelieving world that opposed Noah is the same water that lifted Noah up above the unbelieving persecutors. And the same suffering that Christ entered for you carries you above this punishment of God. And so when the flood of God's wrath comes upon this earth in its final form, it will destroy all the persecutors, all the unbelievers, all those who oppose Christ, but it will lift you to eternal glory, made alive by the Spirit. And in that you can even now rejoice in your suffering knowing that this is only a light affliction compared to the glory that awaits the people of God. It is only a light affliction compared to what Christ suffered on your behalf. 
It is only a light affliction compared to what unbelievers will endure to all eternity in that prison under God's wrath. Noah endured for his 120 years, moved with a godly fear, knowing that the day was coming. And though you face suffering now, whatever that is in your own life, you know the day is coming when you will be lifted above the flood, above the strife, above the suffering, carried into the presence of a holy God through Jesus Christ into the eternal new world where there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering. And so here it is that Christ proclaims his victory through his suffering and through his preaching that he on the cross has made the way of salvation, has gained the victory for all those who flee to him. Will you then not also do so? Will you then not also glorify him if this is where your life is found, having been made alive by his Spirit, even now? Amen.